I'm your host, Erin Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Erin Groves, and we have another very special guest on the podcast this week. I mentioned him briefly on social media last week. He is someone that I actually met through a yoga class all about networking, took some of our key takeaways from previous episodes, and I met who we have on the podcast, Ryan Houston. Welcome, welcome. Say hello. Hi there. (laughs) He's super excited to be here. So, like I mentioned, Ryan and I met in a yoga class and it was right when I started the podcast. And I remember him being like, I listened to your podcast and we started get to talking and I learned a little bit about what he does for a living. I was like, he would be a perfect guest to have on. And I say this every episode, but I don't like to steal your limelight and you know take everything that you have to say about yourself. But Ryan is an entrepreneur, build ho- builds houses for a lot of people in the DFW area. He also has a sod business, which I just learned about does some things out on a ranch, has cows. So Ryan Houston, introduce yourself. Who are you? <laughs> it's kind of weird. When people look at me and I tell them I'm, I like to, I'm a yogi, builder, sod farmer, rancher, hay, it's kind of a weird deal. And it just happens to be my background and where I came from and where I, the, the, the path led me, I guess, which we're all on a, on a path, right? And, yeah. And, and we don't really know where it's going, but here we are. So um, I, I come from Dallas, uh, went to St. Mark's, you know, went to SMU um, and uh, studied finance and uh, really was geared up to that finance deal. Spreadsheets, number crunching. Um, I didn't have any real guidance of like anybody, a mentor, anybody that was like, no, this is what you need to do. So I was just like learning from older guys that really didn't probably 22 year old guys that didn't know anything either. And what, where you should go, what you should do, what job you should do. So I, oh yeah, finance, that's the way to go, you know? So, (laughs) and I was, I was fine. I was smart and, you know, got good grades and all that. And my first job was for an oil and gas company in Fort Worth, uh, Union Pacific Resources. And, um, you know, went to work for them in their, and they kind of had a rotation where they, the first six months is in their audit department. So you learn the numbers and so forth. And then the next, you go to a different, different uh, part of the, the company, but within six months, they'd already merged with a, uh, another company down in Houston. So in 2000, I found myself without a job, Mm -hmm. but at the time I, they gave a severance package of, I think six months, which was like amazing at that time. Cause Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm rich, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like I quit. Can I, can I retire yet? (laughs) And, uh, so what did I do? I went to the to the ranch uh, because it's just south of Fort Worth. The, the The company was in Fort Worth, and that's really what my interest was. And uh, the land and it's a family ranch. I didn't buy it, so it's it's but something my grandfather you know taught me a lot about and the operations. And I mean, if you would ask me back then, what do you really want to do? I'd be like, I want to be a cowboy, or you know, <laughs> run want to run a ranch. And my dad's on the other side not he's part of the ranch but not um not he doesn't believe what didn't believe in that career choice right because yeah. uh it's not going to make any money and just for whatever reasons he didn't think that was cool so 
I went down there looking for a job. And in 2000, that was right when the NASDAQ had crashed. And uh, uh, in finance jobs, I got a job out of school. But then that spring, the NASDAQ went, I don't know what the numbers are, but just plummeted. So find, trying to find a job in the fall of 2000 was it was tough. And if, if, if in the jobs that I was offered, uh, they were really bad and, uh, they didn't really make much money. So to pay bills after my four, six, I, I think I took a couple months off, but, um, I, uh, was always a project guy, always, uh, did little builds, you know, or if there was like a handy guy around, like I was, <laughs> oh, yeah, Ryan's got a truck and yeah, he can figure it out. And I was like, and so I kind of took on that role and, and I didn't know what I was doing, knew nothing, but um, I needed to, um, you know, needed a place to live at the ranch because by that time, it's not really cool to like be living with your, you know, your parents or trying to have like, a, you know, your girlfriend down and be like, yeah, my parents are upstairs. And uh, so I read, I redid this, uh, this ranch house. It was the old foreman's house and it was, you know, total piece of junk and just learned by figuring it out. And, you know, they didn't even, I don't, we didn't have YouTube back then either. So you did, you could, you had to like ask people, like, I'm sure they had YouTube, but I wasn't smart enough to like, there wasn't, they they didn't have a gazillion, you know, like how to do it yourself kind of things. So started this little project and, uh, redid the bath and everybody, and I made it nice, you know, and I kind of wanted, wanted to do a good job. And so everybody that came to the ranch, even though it wasn't like, it was very small and, but it was really well done and everybody was gave me some accolades because of because of that still i mean i look back and it was terrible you know but <laughs> <laughs> it gave me that little boost of like wait a minute i can do something you know yeah and so uh i got a job by a local builder a highland park builder that did high end homes i was at a at a christmas party or thanks or yeah it must have been a christmas party and uh he was like uh, a well-known builder and I didn't, wasn't even thinking of pitching to him, but I got stuck in the corner and, you know, at this Christmas party and I was like, yeah, how's building going? He's like, oh yeah, we're doing great. You know, you know, blowing and going. And he's like, well, what are you doing? I was like, well, not much. You know, I got laid off. Uh, you know, they merged with the company down in Houston and kind of looking around. I, I've, I've been interviewing, but it's pretty tough right now. You know, everybody can give themselves an excuse of yeah. like, of why they're not, uh, doing the right thing, the economy or COVID or whatever, you know? So I was giving myself the excuses and, uh, he said, well, why don't you come work for me? And I was like, ha, 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 you know, but builder, like, you know, okay. I mean, I, I, I didn't say it like that, but I was almost like, that's, I, I had a finance degree and, you know, I'm supposed to be like a finance guy or something like that. But I thought about it. And I was like, yeah, it would be kind of neat to learn more and, uh, you know, why not? And it would be great to make some money because this six month severance is going to be gone here pretty quick. So just started working for him, um, and worked for, I don't know, two and a half, three years and just learned. And, you know, they stuck me on a house over in Highland park, a three or $4 million house. And I didn't have to make any, you know, th- big decisions, but mm-hmm. at the end you have to finish a house. And so, they say finishing the house is is the hardest thing to do. It's the details. It's the minutia. A lot of builders that are established. I mean, I finish my own houses, but like when you have a big company, it's kind of like what you put, you know, whoever on to do all the little tedious work and then deal with the homeowner that's by the end is, you know, worn out, out of money. Usually the, the husband and wife of 
you know, it's, it's stressful and yeah. you know, they're, they're getting after it. And so, um, anyway, that's, that's how it started in the building business. And I worked for him for a couple of years and then I was like, I can do this. Uh, and you know, had some connections and some, somebody, uh, you know, in the community thought I was, had could, could do it. And so I quit and, uh, <laughs> built their house, which, that wasn't probably in hindsight, they got a great value and I just stayed on it and didn't want to fail and just worked and figured it out and kept on it. But in hindsight, I mean, it was definitely fake it till you make it kind of territory. <laughs> it's so funny too, because when you listen to people's stories and you mentioned at the beginning, we all have a journey, which is something that I always touch on, on this podcast and really why I did it. Cause you listen to stories like that. And I think the first thing that I want to build off of, and you've repeated it multiple multiple times is that well a you fake it till you make it but b you just figured it out and i think there's so there's a huge misconception and there's a lot of people out there who will a do what you just said of make excuses instead of just figuring it out you didn't have youtube we have access now to more resources than we really truly ever have so for the audience audience out there listening whether they're going into home building and this is why they're tuning into the episode or anything else touch on how you just continue to keep doing it and you quote unquote figured it out were there tangible things you did or what advice could you give for people listening yeah um i think i think it starts from an early age and i have teenagers now and uh so i'm watching them as they grow and uh and lie to themselves basically about things they can or can't do. Cause that's what people do. You know, they, everybody, we, we talk about it. Everybody can do more. They're capable of more than they believe themselves. So eventually mm-hmm. you have to trust yourself enough to try it and not be afraid to fail. And these, all these things sound, they've been told over and over and over again, but it's, it is true. Nobody knows, especially coming out of the gate as a teenager. I mean, there's, yeah, there's some successful, smart individuals that are, that are, have developed or matured at a faster rate, but everybody is faking it till they make it mm-hmm. at some level. And, uh, what I'm telling my kids right now is don't lie to yourself. You know, you're, you're, it, whatever your excuse you're giving yourself of why you can or cannot, that's a, that, that there's, there's doors that shut, but, if you open that door and at least explore it fully, whether you can or can't do it. I mean, sometimes it's true. Sometimes you can't do something, but did you give it the full effort Mm -hmm. uh, to see if that actually was possible or not possible? So I think, I think that's, uh, I I always had, for some reason, I, um, I didn't, I didn't, I did have fear of course, but I kind of, at some point was just like, if it doesn't work, you know, what's, what's the worst, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'll be right where I was. So why not give it, give it a roll or whatever. That's really important. And we got into fear a lot sooner than we do in most episodes, but I think fear of failure or fear of being embarrassed or feel of people judging you. I think there's a lot of fears that people navigate in their life and you just hit the nail on the head of it's really not that big of a deal. Like if you go and you take a step and I always say too, like on the opposite side of that. So say you go out and you launch something and it doesn't work. You still learn something. You either learn that you're not good at it that you are good at it and that you did it the wrong way or how to adjust. I feel like there's so many people and a question to you when you left your job with the builder that first gave you an opportunity and then you went to do your own thing and build houses. Was there a time or mistakes that you made when you first 
or failures that you had when you initially left that you look back on now and you're like, duh, why did I do that? Yes. Like, yeah. like too many. <laughs> and, and my parents, for instance, were, you know, you have a good job. You're they're they're They really trust you now. And you, what, what, why, what are you doing? You know, they were, they were actually the ones that were more fearful than I was. And I'm so glad. And I'm, I'm so glad I didn't didn't listen to them. I don't, probably did it just to spite them in some weird ways, you know. But um, um, yeah, I mean the the mistakes um, you make mistakes. It's just part of it. You, I mean, and and the advice I would give people when they are in the middle of a mistake or uh, is be honest with yourself quickly, whether it's a mistake or not a mistake, and own it. Because a lot of people will lie to themselves about the decision they made. And I've done that. That's the worst. When you know it's a mistake and you just keep on trying to fake it till you make it or whatever, trying to work it through instead of just like ripping the bandaid off, go the, you know, stop, fire the person. Um, owning it is it, it, owning it to yourself first, but then whoever you're working with. Uh, and that, that took a long time, by the way. Because most people, ego is what gets in the way of mm. of of a lot of people. You know, it, it's just a problem. You know, and getting over that is admitting a mistake and then moving forward. That's th- that takes that takes some time, I think. Yeah, and I we talked about this when we first. You know, we're talking about the podcast and everything, and you were talking about there's a lot of people that you've met who have like the victim mentality that they don't want to admit to the mistakes or they'll just blame other people and i see that a lot if someone goes out and make a mistake i think a lot of it has to do with ego they're embarrassed and they don't want to be the one to own it but i also think on the flip side of that people that are super successful they do admit to those mistakes early because then you're fixing it faster if you're like hey i messed up and i hired the wrong person and you get rid of them now versus a year down the road you're just solving that problem and solving that issue sooner rather than waiting however long to figure it out and and the truth is is clients especially the ones i work for they're really smart and so (laughs) they can read through the bullshit instantly yeah and i and i think i picked up on that when i was trying to like oh it's gonna be all right and you know the normal builder that builders are known for this i mean it's, it's like very common for them to just try to like you know make excuses and i don't know blame other people or blame all the different things um I'm a little different now as a builder that I only build one house at a time mm-hmm. and they're, they're big. Uh, but instead I don't have that problem. I did have that problem. That was one of my mistakes early in my career. It wasn't a mistake per se, but it was thinking I could do more than I really was capable of doing with the amount of time. So taking on too much, too many projects. And I remember at one point I had like, I think it was five or six projects going. This is all before the crash and you know the housing mm-hmm. crashed in 08 and it was just blowing and going and i was hiring people that were not qualified that didn't that didn't really help me in fact they actually caused me more problems so um i would say being honest with what you can take on yourself mm-hmm. instead i mean it, you only have so much time in a day but clients when you work for clients and you they can they can smell and read the the, the lack of confidence the lack of attention i mean you know instantly whether somebody's like full of shit or not, right? I mean, you know, mm, yeah. you know if the, you, you can kind of feel whether it's so. After after that, 
episode when I was strung out and I, and I didn't like, I finished the houses and everything, but I would say I've done a lot better. I could have done a lot better job. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I in more attention to detail or, or whatever, but, uh, that's why later I, my model went to more of a just, and thankfully I was, you know, got some of these really nice size, big, highly detailed projects that, that allowed me just to do one. Cause when you're young and you know, you're getting remodels, well, yeah, you got to get four or five, a kitchen or an addition, uh, whatever. Uh, I mean, you don't really have a choice. You can't just go to the top of the, and be like, yes, I'd like to build this, you know, whatever, 20, $30 million house. That's all I'm doing. You know, it just didn't work that way. Yeah. You got to work. <laughs> you got to work your way up, which I think is hard to a lot of people. And you hear the same story over and over again of whatever someone started, you thought you were going to do finance. And then what you ended up doing now is building houses And do you feel that that initial feedback when you first started building the bathtub that you talked about that you look back now and you're like, okay, it wasn't that great of a job. Do you feel like getting that feedback in your life and having that minor success led you in the direction that you eventually went? Um, Yeah, I think so. I mean, just picking up. I mean, first of all, everybody says it, but you have to do something that you're in that you really are passionate about and interested in. I mean, that goes a long way. So when I was at my first job as an analyst uh, in the audit department, I mean, no, no, it just wasn't for me, you know, and and it was I was I really looked in the mirror and I was like, wait a minute, is this my life? You know, am I going to be is I mean am I going to be a numbers guy building a spreadsheet and then presenting it to, you know, like I just, I just don't know if I can do it. I mean, I'm sure I could do it, you know, mm-hmm. but does that excite, excite me? Um, it didn't, you know, and all I was doing was staring out the window and thinking about, you know, wakeboarding or whatever on the weekend, which is okay too. But it's just, it's that it, in those days, I think it's, it's really important to find something that you really are passionate about that, has viability of making money, you know, or, you know, making a living anyway. Yeah. Well, I, and I think it's hard too for some people that they could be really passionate about wakeboarding or snowboarding, but right. there kind of comes and we had this conversation of like, okay, look in the mirror. Is this something that you can potentially make an income off of? And I think there's sometimes a disconnect between like reality and maybe what is something that, you know, I love doing this, but there's no way for me to monetize it or there's no way to make a living. So I really encourage people out there that if you find something that you're passionate about and something that could potentially make a lot of money, I think Mike said this before, like the sky is the limit. Um, And so you still are building houses. You still, I know you're on a big project right now out at the ranch. And then we talked about this. Touch a little bit about your sod business that you went into. First off, I've never heard of it. So if there's someone out there that is like Ryan it loves the ranch. This is a really cool idea and touch on how you got into it. Cause that's another cool story behind it as well. Yeah. Um, so I, like I said early on when I was at the ranch, that's yeah. if, if, in, and that's what I probably, that was what I was most interested in those days yeah. was all things ranch, fishing, hunting, uh, cattle, horses, uh, all those things, but it wasn't realistic, you know, mm-hmm. at the time, especially with the family too and you know different family members it just it w- it wasn't an, an option and that I'm glad it wasn't an option too because that wouldn't have pushed me to do all these other things too you know if I would have just been the the you know the family ranch you know st- I mean nothing against that either but I wouldn't have grown yeah. and had to do all these other other things but um so 
all along throughout throughout building and make building and making a little bit of money and things like that i was always a saver you know and i i i mean it you know I, at the time um you know early in my 20s there's you know you make a little bit of money and you and a lot of guys go out and buy a fancy car or whatever or, or you know whatever whatever it may be and i was just i i think that was part of like the family tradition of just saving money kind of the dame dave ramsey kind of like mm-hmm. mentality of like buy assets um you know and th- you know buy things that are going to produce money rather than uh uh so that was big that that's some of the, the best lessons i learned from the my dad family was just saving and buying assets rather than liabilities so Back in those days, um, I you know I bought a duplex and we lived in the. My wife and I got married and lived in the top floor and then leased the the bottom floor out, which I like highly recommend if you can figure out a way to create an income producer. I mean that's a whole different podcast and I'm not the expert on that at all. But like learning to save and then deferred, you know, gratification of income rather than just buying something stupid that I'm so glad I didn't buy because those fancy cars, you know what I mean? It just, it's fleet. It's, it's such a fleeting thing. So, uh, while I was making some money, I, the ranch, you know, my grandfather died. There was a period of maybe four or five years where it was, you know, it was, we leased it to a, a cattle guy and then, you know, that guy came in and overgrazed it and, you know, you know, we'd find beer bottles out in the pasture and stuff. I mean, he was just using it, not taking care of it. Right. So, um, I, I got a, uh, a friend, a really good friend. Uh, I actually mentioned to you, his name's Philip Lang. He worked for a company called turf grass of America. So it's a, it's a, you know, sod company, you know, you see on pallets of grass. Yeah. Uh, he actually worked for the company and he said, you need to talk to these guys because they're looking for more land to, uh, to have, have a sod farm and it's in your area. And we're on just south of Glen Rose on the on the Brazos River, and so the things you need for a sod farm are proximity to the Metroplex. You need water, and you need uh, enough to make it viable. Like a hundred acres is kind of a good sweet spot to put in a center pivot. So a center pivot is when you fly over, uh, you know, and you see circles across the uh, the country. Those aren't like crop circles. There's not. They're not like. You know, farmers doing weird like patterns or thinking it's fun. It's because of this. The it's a in the middle is the water where the water comes out of the ground, and then it's a long, uh, sometimes up to two thousand. There, I mean, some even longer uh, irrigation piece of equipment that uh, goes around in a circle. Um, so I bought a pivot and then leased it to this sod farm. But I bought it with my own money mm-hmm. on the family ranch. I, I got permission. I was like, hey, I'm going to do this deal in this pasture, over this this one field over here. It's currently a wheat field. It's making three or $4,000 a year. I'll I'll contribute that three or $4,000 to, you know, or lease or, you know, almost like subleasing it, but yeah. then turning around. And I bought, it was $67,000 was the pivot and the pump. And I'd save the money to do it or, you know, I had more than that, but, uh, I made the deal and went the, everybody that, that family members even were like, well, how do you know the guy's going to pay you? And you know what, uh, <laughs> like how is there, do you have some sort of contract or, you know, like, I mean, well, that contract's not worth the paper it's written on. And, you know, it's, 
And it's almost like the more feedback like that I got, and I was like, all right, let's, I, I just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I'm going to prove you wrong. Cause I've done my, re, you know, done, the, I, I, you know, and even if it doesn't work out, I'll grow something else on it. And because the guy, I, I did, I did get some advice from that. I, the, I asked the guy for a down payment, a bigger down payment than he wanted to give. And I just walked away and I was like, you know what, if you don't, if I, that's, that's all I can do, you know? Well, he paid the first year's. The deal was he's going to have to pay the first year up front, which was thirty five thousand dollars. That's that was our deal, and I had to come up with whatever sixty five. So I was only out that amount of money for the first year. But by a year, only twelve months in, I was almost whole. You know, so that little that that helped a lot. Yeah. Pushed me over the edge to say, okay, this is this this is worth it. So it worked out. I mean, this that that was in like oh three. And he, the same tenant just left the ranch, uh, I guess two years ago, but it's because we kept on extending, but the sod, that's where the sod business started. So that's, there's three, there's currently now three center pivots. So in 2014 or 15, I'm still building and, you know, probably made some money and thinking like, you know, I've invested in all these other people's deals and some of them were good. And, you know, there was a double here and triple here. But then there was a lot of deals that I invested in that were zeros. And, you know, it just was frustrating because I, I was a, the sideline watching what happened. I'm like, mm. God, this is this is the dump. Like, I cannot I, – I felt out of control. You know, I just was watching uh, some ego and some greed, you know, where you could have turned – this one in particular deal I'm talking about, I'm not going to give any details, but – they had a, a double in maybe six months. And instead of that, they kind of, which is okay. They thought it was going to be more like a eight or 10, but once they got into the deal more then ego got in the way and who's in control and it all ended up blowing up into a, to a hundred percent loss. And I was, and I just was watched this whole thing unfold. And I was like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not investing in anybody else's deal again. I'm out. Like maybe something very small or something. And I'm sure I've like missed out on tons of deals. I, I, I get it. I'm sure I should have, you know, been more involved or whatever. But the way I look at it is at least if, if I'm going to put the money in and it's my deal, my, my, my control and it totally fails, it's my own damn fault if it fails. Right. So, um, in t- the the sod the sod investment was a good deal. It was a really good deal. It was a steady deal. I mean, mm-hmm. every year I was and then and there were some escalations and I was and I was getting like forty thousand a year just on the side. So it just made things that 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 was money that I didn't even have to you know about. think about work about. And it was pretty too. You know, you go out there and it's a field, a hundred acre field that's mowed up. You know we camp on, you know, it's just a nice, pretty thing that's improving the ranch. And that's really my long-term goal was I feel this obligation. It it was a gift. I didn't pay for it, but it's something that I want to continue to beautify and, and take care of, but you can't do that without money. It takes, it takes money. It takes ideas. You can't, unless you're just super rich and you have a family (laughs) that just wants to spend, I mean, I can do that. I mean, that's, it's not easy, but it's like, so I was I was faced with how do you create money? That, that's what I would uh, late at night. What do I think about, or did I think about? 
how can I use this land to make the most amount of money? Yeah. To then be able to, yeah, take care of my family and take and do fun things and go on stuff, but also be able to put that money back into to taking care of it, which it it really does. I mean, it, it's a it could be a half a million dollar kind of. I mean, if you did a lot of improvements and mm-hmm. you w- went to a big ranch. I mean, roads and fences and I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. So, uh, in two, that's a, the, the, we're back to the question of like how the, the sod business, how did it go? The, in 2015, I put in another center pivot cause that was a good deal and I didn't want to invest in any other, any of these other bad deals where I felt out of control. So I, uh, partnered with a really high end sod company that does, sports fields, golf courses, uh, the Texas Rangers, uh, Ooh. Tritex grass, shout out to Tritex grass. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get them on the <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah, right. get them on the go- They're, they, they had a great reputation in the business. If of the projects, you know, these are more project grass, like Clyde Warren park has the, mm-hmm. has the grass, you know, off, off, uh, the ranch. Um, uh, lots of golf courses that you would know of, they would do the work. So, I approached them and said, I've got a sod farm that I'm leasing to a guy and uh, I build homes and just kind of made an introduction uh, through an, through another, through a mutual friend. And at first they were just like, yeah, great. No, thanks. We're good. You know, that's, that's sweet of you to, you know, <laughs> to reach out to us. And I don't know, we, it's like uh, maybe th- months later, uh, somehow got him down. I was like, you just need to come and look at it. You know, I think, I think it's a good, it's, it just talked him into it and they happen to like to ride Harleys, you know, and they were like, so their excuse was, okay, yeah, we're going to, we're going to bring our, we're going to be on our Harleys though. It's kind of weird, but at least we're going to, we'll ride out there and check it out. So we ended up driving around the, the ranch and they, I think they got to know me and knew that I was not, you know, just a bullshitter and, you know, uh, would, would potentially follow through. And, they needed um there's another variety of grass a special bermuda grass that they were real excited about uh, i didn't know this at the time <laughs> but uh that they didn't have the land for you know so they they uh um and the economy was was after the 2008 and after 2008 sod farms were in big trouble you know there was no housing uh being built so a lot of sod farms suffered so they uh, had started another farm down in uh, College Station area before in in and around 2008 before really and so they weren't just blowing to go to to do any more investing they were mm-hmm. really just kind of you know waiting to for things to happen so um, I I worked out a contract grow agreement to grow this Bermuda variety of grass put in a new center pivot and pumps and level the field and the fencing and all that to keep all the hogs out. And, um, uh, and we started in 2015 and it's, it was turned out to be a 112 acre field. Um, and it, it, again, it worked out. I, I, it had to take a risk and I knew that they were more of a substantial, substantial tenant and had a company. So I was like, I got to do my part in this one and Mm -hmm. come through, which, in the farming, you know, there's just always obstacles. There's always challenges. I mean, you know, the, the river floods and I mean, go on and on and on, but that's, um, and then since then I'm no longer taking care of the field. So part of our original agreement was myself and the guys on the work for me 
we would fertilize, weed kill, mow, and get it all perfectly ready. It looks like a golf course. And then they would come in and uh, harvest grass for these different projects, usually like a big golf course. They'd sell 30, 50 acres, and you know, one day the grass is there, and then the next day they roll it up. And when they would roll it up it, and it's going off the ranch, that's I would get paid when you know by the foot as things uh you know got harvested so that was our agreement and then now they're they have a full-time crew we've renegotiated the contract and um which is great uh there's a i put in another pivot so i paid for another pivot pump and fencing and all that that was in 19 and now there's 350 acres and they are maintaining it better than i did really because mm-hmm. they have a they have five guys full time. So it's, and it's great. All the family members that, you know, my family members really enjoy it, uh, get to drive through and it's, you know, mowed up and beautiful. And, uh, all the, all the Indian princesses and, uh, you know, Indian guides out there. Um, I mean, there's been, I don't know how many campouts because that's, it's the best place in the world to camp because it's a hundred acres of just perfectly green, beautiful grass. And, you know, the moms, when they come out of Dallas and they get into the country or dads for that matter, especially, you know, dads <laughs> these days, they, everybody's anxious. It's yeah. like, we're worried about snakes and stickers and whatever. And so like the second they can't uh, see their kid in the country, I mean, you can just see it on their face. They just start freaking out. They're like, you know, uh, you know, but out there on the sod field, it's, there's not a sticker on it. It's grass. And so everybody that gets there completely relaxes which is which is really neat and it's comfortable and the tents level you know have you ever, have you ever been camping and been on like a hill and everybody rolls down to one side of the the no never done that <laughs> it's so interesting though because i feel like this is such a this is one thing that i've learned about texas and like a lot of my coworkers. one of them has done really well at my job and he has like two thousand acres of land and i've never understood why someone would want to buy two thousand acres of land but now talking to you and understanding like there definitely is like passive income to be made on it and i think you're right like investing in assets and not a liability like purchasing land that you can lease out or a duplex that's something that i thought of recently like how can you make money off of the money that you've already saved and like continue to invest that back? Um, so, but no, I've never, I'm not the biggest camping. Not type. a big camper. Yeah. Maybe in Ohio because it was cold, but mm-hmm. not, no. Well, anyway, that I was saying how nice it was yeah. that to use it and everybody gets to use it. I'm hosting uh, my daughter's fifth grade camp out in a couple of weeks, but one of the 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 guys that I've become good friends with in the fifth grade, he has a first grader and he's like, well, we don't have any place to camp. And this is now I'm like hosting all of the, the Providence, not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm happy to do it. It's great. You know, it's like, yeah. why not use it? And uh, it's fun to share it with everybody. And, and uh, so that's been a, another plus is that it's kind of, I, it was a creation of something really beautiful and cool that actually could be used also, which is, rare. I mean, I don't know how you figure that one out. I mean, I don't know. I, I did I wasn't planning for that. I was just trying to like make some money off of grass and then it turned into this let's go to the sod farm and kick the kick the ball or just hang out or whatever. So that's yeah. been cool. It's it's so interesting. And I mean it kind of goes back to when you were a kid you wanted to be a rant or you wanted to hang out on the ranch all the time and now you've created that place where it's like your kids are going their friends are going to just hang out and it's a place where people enjoy and can relax so it kind of goes back to you always say that 
people have the vision of like, quote unquote, what they want to do when they're little. And then when they're older, it's some break off of that. It's like some revelation of that. So you're doing that. But I do think that you said something that I've noticed a lot of entrepreneurial type people have, and that's just wanting control over the things that they are doing and the investments that you're making. From your perspective, I find it so interesting that the deals that you were losing, you didn't have as much control over and the deals that you were winning, you did have more control over. From your perspective and for people out there listening, touch on that a little bit more. Well, Control First stage. of all, I might have said it in that way, but I didn't totally mean it because there have been things <laughs> and ideas yeah, well, that I've absolutely. done that have turned into complete dog shit. Yeah. So it, it does happen, but uh, I mean, it at least it's my fault, right? Exactly. At least I'd learned and grew. And so, yeah, I think anybody, if I was here to say, oh yeah, if everyone I was in control, I nailed every <laughs> one of them. I just, I got, that's just, that's just not the case. But yeah. at least I felt like, oh, that's that's what I did wrong. Or I didn't see, I didn't think about that or whatever. Um, but in general, it just, it was, it just felt, it didn't feel scary. It just, when, when you're, when you're investing with, I was just frustrated, I guess is a good way to say Mm -hmm. it, that I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I had any control of the outcome. And, uh, and that's why I decided to, to do do my, the commitment to myself to do my own thing, I guess. So, um, it's important. That's something that I feel like a lot of people who leave corporate and go elsewhere and start their own things, it kind of comes down to that same thing. And we touched on it last episode who he went into real estate, did corporate sales for forever, but he's like, they could let me go to tomorrow. My territory could get taken. And then you go into right. this in real estate and you're building something that you have control over. And it's not to say that you didn't lose things, but I also feel like when you're in business with other people, which it's just the name of the game, you're navigating different personalities. What's important to them might not be as important to you. I feel like it's just a life lesson. But I always find it so interesting that it's one of those common themes that a lot of entrepreneurs touch on is like, I just want to control over the things I was going into. And probably also um, think about, uh, you know, doing working for somebody else and doing and pushing into something really hard and doing an amazing job. And, you know, you did it. The boss, your boss probably knows you did it, but did you really get the full credit of that? No. Like the, the monetarily, no. Oh, here's your, here's your bonus. Great job. You know, or like maybe no, maybe not much of a bonus at all or recognition in some ways. So I think that wasn't really my experience, so to speak, but I would think if I would, that, that would be another reason to at least, to, to at least try your own thing if you if you have that dream because i would get frustrated by that yeah it definitely is frustrating or you're putting all of this work into something and you're like i feel like i'm losing control of it or i feel like it doesn't matter how much i try or how much effort i i put into this at the end of the day it's not up to me you know, when you have a boss or you're not just reporting to yourself, which is why, you know, I've gone down this road with a podcast and it's why I interview people like you. Cause I think everyone who's left and gone on to do their same thing, it's all, a lot of it I think is a personality trait. Like I feel like you, I, a lot of people that I've interviewed are just wired differently. Like we want to go off and do our own thing. And this was something that I heard elsewhere, which I'd love to get your feedback on is, I don't know if it was a quote I heard on a podcast I was talking about when you're working for someone else versus working for yourself, it's 10 times harder to work for yourself, but it's also that much more rewarding. Do you feel like I can feel, I 
feel like I know the answer to this, but I just find it intriguing from your perspective. Do you feel like you worked a lot harder in corporate or do you feel like you worked not as hard? No. No. I, I mean, I, when I was a builder, I, yeah. I, I was, I'm half-assed it, you know, <laughs> took long lunches. Anytime my friends were like, oh yeah, we're going over here to lunch. And you know, it would be that I would be there on at Thursday or Friday or Friday, especially when, when it was time to like go wakeboarding. I mean, I was like, <laughs> okay, um, I know my boss, I know he's there. So I'm just going to like, oh yeah, I'm good. I think I'm going to, I think I can leave at two o'clock this time, you know, and everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, great. You know, I mean, but when you're, when you work for yourself, it's, it, that all changes, but yeah. because for, you know, you are the only one that can, you know, that you're the, the buck stops with you. So you, you've got to do it. Now, some people don't, aren't cut out for that and they don't want to do it. And I get it. I mean, sometimes I've, 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 I wondered through this whole thing, would it have been better, you know, to just mail it in and, you know, not mail it in. That sounds terrible, but yeah. uh just do a do a job, do a corporate job, and just be safe, you know. And I think ultimately, you know, fear is what keeps it was what would have kept me there. And some people in fear is pain, you know. So we're all f- afraid. Okay, what what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, that that sounds real. That that could be terrible, and that that that'd be painful, you know. And I think some people just have a bigger t- pain tolerance, right? I mm-hmm. mean, and and. They're not, um, you know, just from a fear standpoint. I mean, we talk about it in working out or, you know, things like that or yoga. It's like, is that pain really, it is painful, but is it really, it it doesn't kill you. It makes you stronger, you know? And so, um, and it helps you to grow. So I didn't know all this at the time. I mean, early on for sure, but now the older I am, that I'm, I yearn for something that's hard and me in, in sometimes fearful or painful, nothing crazy, but I know that that's where the satisfaction and, you know, growth, growth comes from. I would 1000% agree. And we'll get into, we'll kind of finish off the pod, podcast on a yoga note. Cause I, it's so interesting for me why I became a yoga instructor. It's the things that you're saying and just like the things that you've noticed about yourself. But I think fear is something that I ask a lot of different people. And, you know, I had Lou on previously who was Olympic athlete coaching Olympians. And so for him and coaching fear with his athletes was like fear of not winning or fear of doing this. It was an outcome from your perspective and people out there. I think fear is something that I deal with all the time. Are there a few pieces of advice, whether it's two or three things that you've done to help you get past that or actions that you've taken to help you? Yeah. Deal with fear. Um, Or overcome. I think just getting accustomed to being in in a state in of of pain or whatever it may be in in fear i think just if the more you're in and you can just allow yourself to at least put your toe in the water i think then you you realize it's not that big a deal and it's mm. it's it's it's, it's not that bad and also like when it comes to like social fear you know what we all fa- especially face what are, what are people going to say or what mm-hmm. what and the what i've Later on in life, I believe anyway, is that um, people really don't care. I mean, ultimately, other people, those people that you think are going to are, oh, what are they going to say or what are they going to do? Well, they might say or, you know, say something. But at the end of the day, 
do they what what you do with your time and what it's your energy or that it's that's your it's your your life your track your role so not doing something because worrying about what everybody else is going to say or or how they're going to react to you for some reason when i would get that energy you know from people it actually made me want to do it more you know and so <laughs> that. maybe that's my i don't know messed up personality or whatever but um uh, so that, uh, also later on in life, even with yoga, um, anxiety is something that everybody I think faces, you know, deals with and means fear and fear is right in there with anxiety. That's yeah. it. It's, it's, they go hand in hand. Um, but just being present, I know that's, that's like the buzzword now is being present, but fear is being worried about something that's not right in front of you most of the time. Well, that's not real. It's not real. Yeah. We tell ourselves a story in our head and then don't act on it. Don't do anything and just stay wherever we are in fear because of whatever, whatever the situation may be. May be. So for me learning to ex- that anxiety, at least action, some action item, anything it might even just be like going for a walk or, or just or being noticing, you know, be, being kind to, or whatever, some way to like learning how to heal basically. So we, we the, I know that I jumped off on a, on a tangent there, but I think that was the biggest thing for me is learning you, you, if you wrote down when you're in a very anxious state, like what you're feeling, what you're, what you're really thinking and what you're fearful of. And then you just take your time and do something actionable that you know you like, you know, uh, walks, dogs, whatever, friends, being kind. Um, and then, and then really delve into like, okay, was I fearful? Was I anxious at that time? Well, I did something that was actionable to get myself, my mind into a better space that then I could maybe do something else that would benefit my life. So, that's a skill that takes time to mm-hmm. learn. And I'm trying to teach my kids that it's, it's learning how to heal yourself and being aware of, of your state, right. Of if, whether you are anxious or sad or ner- whatever it may be, um, just learning what you, your, the way to heal yourself. And that sounds a little woo woo, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Did that make sense? Yeah. It's helpful. And I think everyone navigates through fear differently. But I think there's a lot of people out there. And I always encourage people that are listening to this podcast to just keep going. And it's always you said, take action. And whether that action is like going for a walk or meditating or whatever it is that helps you kind of, you know, debrief, understand where you're at, like acknowledge where you are. And this is something that my mom always says, like anytime I'm upset, she's like, it's okay to be sad, be sad, feel it, and then move on. Like, what can you do to get better? What can you do to keep moving? You're only hurting yourself by staying exactly where you are. And I feel like that's what you're trying to teach your kids right now is that you can stay in fear, but it's never going to change. You're not going to be happier if you just sit there and like allow yourself to it for for fear to take you over, take control of you instead of you saying, hey, I'm fearful of this outcome. That outcome is not real right now. So just keep taking a step forward and keep moving, which I feel like is exactly what you've done in your life. And, and I've, and I, I, it's exactly, and 
exercise was yeah. very important for that because when I would, uh, it wasn't that I was trying to win any sport or be whatever. It just was a, it's, it was a way to, um, you know, medicine. And I learned it at an early age when I would be freaking out or nervous or scared or, you know, worried that it was going to work out. I, I, I learned that, okay, I can just go like push into a workout or go for a, a bike ride or, or whatever. And, and kind of get into more of that meditative state of just being in the world. And a lot of times working out, working out some of those problems while, you know, you're working or spinning or whatever it may be. So, um, for me, that's what exercise was the best medicine for mental health. Right. I mean, we, that's, that's the buzzword right now, but it's really true. Yeah. And I remember you and I had a conversation in, it was like, I feel like a light bulb went off in your ha- or in your head. We were in a yoga class and you're like, I feel like I'm just so much more calm and so much more productive ever since I've been going to Ritual sure. One. And I know that's something that like you wanted to talk about today. So you've touched on how exercise has helped you. And this is something that I preach to all my friends, to everyone. I mean, I am I do it every day for that reason. What has yoga done for you? Is there certain things that you've noticed about yourself that maybe you didn't notice before? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, I ne- if you would have told me at age 30 that I was going to be a you know 44-year-old uh, yogi going like wanting to go every day, I can't go, but I would. Um, I would have told, I would have not believed you. You're a liar. You know, it's not, not, not a case, but, uh, so we all quarantined at the ranch, you know, as a family with, and there was two other families and we, we had a, by all accounts, we had a great experience. You know, there was six adults, six kids there, you know, we would all meet up and we camped and we had ever, somebody would have a dinner over here and looking back at the pictures, I mean, they're amazing. You know, we had some amazing experiences, but the, but is I was trying to finish this big house in Dallas, really complicated, um, probably in hindsight over my head from a complexity level going into it. But now that I've done it, I could do it again. No problem, whatever. Uh, but we were drinking a lot, you know, and, and that was just something everybody seemed to be doing. And it was a way to just, um, escape from the realities of the world and then online school and you know all everybody on top of each other and nobody had their space so i know i know it was crazy for a lot of people and and it was crazy for me from an anxiety standpoint i was as low that was the worst you know just the worst time for me just from being nervous for my family for the build for you know worrying about all the investments that you may, are they going to, is this whole world going to, you know, implode, which I'm still not certain that it's going to go. I mean, I'm, we're, we're still holding our, our breaths in some levels, but uh, there's some strange things still going on, you know, with COVID and other things. But um, so after we all came back, um, a person th- that I'd built, Stephen Nicole, that I'd built the house for, I'd built their house years before and developed a, you know, close relationship with, well, Steve kept calling me like, you need to come up to the the studio and, you know, take my class and, you know, this and that. So I, I said no two or three times and finally went up there and, um, and it was the best thing that I could have done at the time yeah. to get myself out of that anxious, not work, you know, not working out, 
just worry. And um, I inst- I not instantly felt it. I'd say several classes in, and then later took the yoga class uh, that it, which uh, I had taken. I just would feel you know during that time of drinking and anxiety, your body stiffens up like mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, compared to compared to when I started yoga to now, the my the flexibility, the mobility uh, is you know I don't I don't I don't know how to calculate it, but it's 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 incredible, and mm-hmm. you know as far as how so all all that uh, and just the amount of peace and you know not wor- not worrying. I, I really don't the the uh, when I go to yoga, if I can get a good yoga session in. I think everything else is just kind of like, ah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I know you told me that you're like, if I could do this, I could take on anything. I feel it just puts things into perspective. It kind of takes you when you're in those like anxious moments, you're having all this fear, you know, this is something that I've been reading about too, is like we wake up and we're looking for problems and like, that's just what our body is responsive to. So I feel like if you wake up and you go to a yoga class and I know you take classes in the morning and that's part of the reason why I do, it immediately shifts your energy away from like re- reactive, responsive, what's going on, what is my to-do list into like a state of abundance and a state of like, okay, here I am now, I'm in the present moment. How can I shift this into a positive? And it changes the course of your day. So it's just crazy how when you see people in I think a lot of people do think we're crazy. They're like, how is this possible? How is this possible? And it's just, I mean, there's a lot of science behind it too, of just breathing yeah. and the energy shift that you have from a workout. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny when somebody new comes in or, and uh, like one of my contemporaries guys come in and they totally freak out and they are just walking around the mat. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that yeah. and it's so hot and, uh, you know, they're just like frustrated or something like that. And I, and I want to tell them all you have to do is just breathe. I mean, really, yeah. what, what do we all have to do on this earth? To, that's it. Breathe. I guess you have to eat and drink water eventually and all that. But in the, when things get real weird and real hot or real tough, just just breathe. He's going to be a yoga teacher before we know. It is true. I just think it teaches you a lot about yourself. I know when I first started getting into yoga, I was kind of in a similar place in my life where I was just anxious. I wasn't happy with who I was. This was in high school. I felt like I went through an identity crisis like eight years earlier than most people do. And I just remember like coming onto the mat and it just, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just like a feeling and everything just seems a lot lighter. I'm not as dramatic as I used to be. I feel like if problems occur, I'm like, okay, whatever. Just got to move on past it. It's not the end of the world versus I feel like if I'm not practicing continuously or I'm not working out, I feel like I'm much more reactive and much more anxious and not as calm or my response is not as gentle. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. You said it really well. <laughs> it, I feel like it just takes years of practice and you've only been going what for like a little over a year now. Um, yes, but I did do, I did some other, uh, yoga, but I didn't really, I just did it to stretch cause I was so tight or something yeah. like that. Maybe like once every couple of weeks kind of thing. But the serious, like every not four or five times a week has just been in the last, last, you know, year or so or less. But, um, I encourage people to not, not, not yoga, but there's a lot of different movements, even walking or, 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 uh, you know, some people say cycling yeah. can be that way where it's a running. It's just a meditative movement mm-hmm. where you're really just focusing on the breath. And in the, and we do listen to music in, in class and things like that. But I do feel like I kind of zone out there for mm-hmm. a good you know hour and, 
you don't even realize how you know hot it is or how much you're sweating or something like that and and i think this day and age with all the crazy amount of tasks and things in my opinion this is all a big science experiment as far as are humans capable of this much interaction and uh connectivity and uh all all things really uh like that and and it is nobody knows because just 150 years ago here especially where the ranch is you know the Comanche Indians were running running the land and there wasn't there weren't phones there I mean yeah. if things went wrong you had to figure it out you had to survive you had to live and and you know but also I don't know what it was like back then there wasn't social media there wasn't news feeds i mean the things we're doing now compared to just in a lot of in the old days you were probably just like taking care of your children and trying to get enough food to sustain yourself whereas these days um you know there's so many things to worry about i mean there's everything to be worried about really if you really go, go down the rabbit holes of everything because that's what gets people that's what gets the eyeballs you know yeah it's all which I think is something that's really hard, especially for younger de- generations. And maybe this is something that you've seen with your kids. I think it's hard to when you're consuming all of this to really find you're staring at a screen all day. And I feel like people just start to there where there's so much comparison going on. There's so much they're at this place. They're at this place. I mean, I'm 25 and I feel my I find myself doing if I'm on social media too much, which is why I limit my time. I don't have it after a certain time in the day. There's periods where I will go a few days without it just because I feel like it's overwhelming and you start to like lose yourself in this content instead of being present with your family or going on a trip and not being on your phone the whole time. I mean, it's just a different time. And I know my parents don't even understand it. They're like, what's a podcast? I mean, my dad didn't even know what a podcast was. I don't even think he still knows how to listen <laughs> to a podcast. My mom doesn't even know how to press play. And I mean, they're not, they're in their early 60s. It's not like they're super. I mean, they're definitely not young, but they're not super old. It's just kind of crazy how much times have changed. So the question is, is all, is all this, is all this technology and connectivity making people happier? And I would argue it's not, it's not, it's no. making people crazy it's, it's mm-hmm. from an anxiety standpoint. And, um, it's not And but how do you change that? I mean, you can change it, yeah. you know, but it's hard. I mean, it's kind of countercultural, cultural, but, um, it's, um, it's all around us. And I think we're all really affected by it. And we're just not being totally honest on how much we are affected by it. Yeah. I I think 1000% it's true. I think it's, I couldn't imagine having, I mean, I just know of like friends and family members or neighbors and stuff like that, that they have young kids that are going through it. And they're, I mean, as parents and they're struggling a lot, just like how to guide their kids through it of like they're seeing this or seeing that which is a whole conversation for another day but it's something hard and you know for people out there that's why I love this podcasting platform because I think it's the only content that you you choose to consume versus I think and it's on Instagram you're scrolling TikTok whatever it is you're just mindlessly going through it versus a podcast it's most of the time educational um but I just think there's a lot out there right now that's I agree. And I I do love podcasts for that reason. I listen to them, you know, instead of and some people watch them as well, but yeah. it's, it's nice to just listen to a, a long form nuanced conversation that um, opens up somebody's ideas rather than just hearing the little soundbite of, 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 of outrage or whatever. Um, so it, and, and it, 
for me, it, I've, you, you get to you get to talk or listen to some some of the some really interesting people where that that wasn't available. 20, yeah. 20 years ago or 15. I don't know. Whenever podcast started. Yeah. No, I agree. Now, as we begin to wrap up this podcast, I l- always love to ask the question if there's two or three pieces of advice that you want to leave the audience with, whether it's along the lines of going into building houses or the sod business, if it's business related, or if it's just life advice that you want to leave the audience with. Yeah. Um, you know, just since we're coming off that subject, <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have been this this advice but we're just kind of to piggyback on that it would be to find ways to be more i mean be more present and not because i think you will be less anxious and a happier person i know for myself that's the truth Mm -hmm. um and i would say i don't i didn't used to like to exercise but i did it anyway just to um had to do it or you know and but i've now learned to like to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So looking at it from a different perspective of, of like, Oh, I've got to go work out. And, you know, uh, but as you, I think as you get older, but I think for anybody, it's just been a great source of, of mental health really mm-hmm. to, um, so I guess those two bits of advice is move, you know, and do something, even if you don't like it, it, you will be a better person mentally. If you can just, push into it and when it does get a little hard know that you're not going to die it's going to be okay and and maybe when things get a little hard you might grow a little you will you will grow so yeah i love that i am i'm really grateful for a lot of things um and and it's something that i've you know when when i was not you know doing good during quarantine i think i was like not be, being grateful for things and kind of telling myself, Oh yeah, this, this is that or whatever. It's too hard, but I am grateful for the the ability to move and continue to go to class. I'm grateful for, you know, my children that they're health, you know, they're healthy and growing and yeah, there's some strange times and yeah, it's, it's, it's it, but I yeah, just, I'm grateful to be alive and be able to keep going. That's new, a good new one. adventures. <laughs> Like a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I have you on here. And I am grateful for my mom actually had her last, hopefully, fingers crossed, surgery so that she should be able to walk again. So that is good news. It was a success. The doctor said that she should be fixed. So that is good news coming out of today. And thank you all for tuning in. And thank you, Ryan, for being on. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you. (laughs)